Greetings, Princeps, and welcome to the God Machine Cast, a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus wargame produced by Games Workshop. In this show, I am going to do a deep dive into the Legio Prexus, otherwise known as the True Messengers. Okay, podcast news. Well, this is it. This is going to be the last episode of Season 1 of the God Machine Cast. I am not going to record another full-length podcast until August. And I'm hoping that that first Monday of August, a new podcast will drop. During this upcoming month, I am going to take time to review everything I'm doing with the podcast. From its format, to its content, to how I'm recording it, to how often I'm recording it and I am going to redouble my efforts to try and get additional voices on this show. What format that's going to take? I really cannot tell you at the moment. I haven't sat down and thought about it, and I'm not going to start thinking about it until this show is all recorded, edited, and out. So, here in a few days, expect another small little bonus post to describe, you know, if I'm looking for any help. I'm also going to be reaching out over social media, so I'm sure you'll see the message even if you don't download the next podcast. I also intend to drop small bonus episodes should any news break, for example, the release of the Defense of Riser book. And if that happens, I may even sneak in an episode where I review the book. But they're going to be bonus episodes and not the full hour-long conversation that we've been having recently. Now, with that all said, I do want to just say that I am still really enjoying creating this podcast. Um, I enjoy digging into the lore and enjoy writing up the text that I end up reading out on this show. Uh, if it wasn't enjoyable, I wouldn't be doing it. And I was really hesitant about deciding how long I wanted to stop for. But I felt breaking for an entire month gives me enough time to really make a start of getting some stuff sorted for the upcoming shows. If I can get a couple of episodes of research under my belt, it's just going to make my entire life smoother and means that I'll have the ability to carry on recording shows if something comes up and I'm unable to con- not spend, you know, six hours researching that week. I've avoided this so far by, you know, quick switching of topics like I did last week, and that hasn't always been the best. Um, They create lower quality shows when I don't put the full time and thought into it. Um, So it's something I want to fix, and it's something I'm going to fix. Anyway, before I finish out this section, I want to make the usual calls for feedback, especially now. Uh, If you have any feedback and thoughts you want to share with the show, maybe even you are interested in perhaps having your voice heard on the show, as a guest presenter or something along those lines, just email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com. Um, or you can just send me any feedback, any conversations you want to have with me about the f- how I operate the show, I really want to hear. Um, yeah. I also want to thank everyone who sent me feedback already. Um, I really only read out e- emails on the show that have actual questions. Feedback emails are filed. I haven't got back to all of you, but I try to. Um, And I'm going to try and get into more places on social media to announce this upcoming retrofit of the show, so to speak. Yeah. Anyway, thank you all. And uh, I'll speak to you again about the show in a few weeks. So, uh, now for my usual place for the hobby update, um, and actually, I have done nothing. 
Uh, the only things that have happened in my hobby world have been done well by my wife. Um, yesterday she went down Lowe's, our local home improvement store, and picked up some uh, supplies for me. I've got uh, two six by two pieces of wood that are going to go together to form a gaming table so I can play games of Titanicus at my house. And she picked up some wood stain, so I'm going to be able to stain some of that wooden scenery I got last week. Uh, she even tried to test piece on some scraps, and it looks pretty good. We went for a very light um, white colour, and staining with the brown of the wood makes it start looking like a pretty weathered concrete. It's going to look pretty awesome, and helps keep a lot of the detail that has been laser etched in that may usually be lost if I start applying paint, um, which I'm pretty cool, happy about. Uh, I can't even say that I thought of it. My wife looked at me and goes, do you want to just try and wood stain these? I was like, we could give it a go. Yeah, so anyway. Uh, and that's kind of it. It's been rather bland for me. Not sure where it's gone. Um, work's been not that bad, and I've, uh, I don't know, just sort of whittled it away doing stupid things. But at times that's needed. Anyway, let's get on with the show. So I have a large correction to make. Basically, back when in episode 19, when I was reviewing the match play rules, I referenced the idea that you didn't reveal to your opponent what mission you were trying to achieve until the end of the game. That is, unless, for example, one of the players was the underdog. But anyway. Um, and I'd always played the game that way, and so had everyone else I'd known. But uh, there is a line in the rules that say, states that you reveal what objectives you're doing before you move on with the game. Um, I completely missed it. I know a lot of other folk who missed it. Um, so the actual pro process of picking your missions in match play is that you both roll the dice to see what missions you, you can take. You secretly write down a mission, and then you both reveal them at the same time. Unless one side is the underdog, in which case they do not pick their objective until their opponent has revealed what objective they're doing. And then they pick the objective and they announce it to their op opponent. And I don't know how I feel about that. I really like the idea that you went into a game with only a limited knowledge of what your opponent is going to be doing. Um, yeah. I think I'm going to house rule that you do keep on moving forward with a limited understanding of what your opponent's doing. It makes for a much more dynamic game, and uh, yeah, it balances the game a lot better, because yeah, it makes several of the mission objectives a lot weaker if, you know, if he, the opponent is clearly going to be doing them from the start. Uh, it really makes the whole match play system that much worse. Um, I know for my event, uh, I'm going to keep the idea that you don't know quite what your opponent is doing till the end of the game. I think it adds quite a bit to the play of the game, and it's a lovely layer of complexity. So yeah. So yeah, the rulebook doesn't advise you play it that way. But I do. And uh, yeah, with that, we'll move on. So I received a letter from listener Ken, and I'm just going to run through the questions he's asked me. First, he asked me, how do I travel with my models? He's had numerous problems transporting them, and wanted to know what my solution was. Yeah, I'm really bad about this as well. Currently, all my models live in a shoebox, and they get very carefully moved from my car to my uh, shelving unit, back to my car, to the game store, and back out again. Um... It's not the greatest, and it's definitely not going to be a permanent solution. 
I'm probably at some point going to invest in some more magnets and magnetize the bases and attach them to a metal tray that I can put in my car and they won't slip around as much. Um, generally, they sit on my child's booster seat and uh, get strapped in. So the amount of shock and vibration they get are minimized. But yeah, it's not an ideal solution and not one I'm going to recommend to anyone. Um, I know a lot of people invest in cases, um, laser cut um, boxes. I know a few of my friends have got a like laser cut foam from Battle Foam or something. But it's expensive, very expensive, um, especially for me at the moment. So, yeah, I'm looking for an easy alternative. And from what I've seen, magnets to bases on a metal tray seem to be the simplest way to go. To be honest, this is a problem that my entire Games Workshop collection has. I don't have adequate transporting for most of it. I've got a series of the foam trays for my infantry, but most of my tanks have to rough it in shoeboxes and boxes with bits of foam stuck in. Um, there's only a few models that get really nice containers. Um, yeah. When I've got the money, I'd much rather spend it on models than foam transport. And as I don't use air travel at all to transport my miniatures, I can get away with it just about. His next question is on the tabletop simulator program on Steam and whether I've used it for playing Titanicus. Uh, I've had this question a few times from folk, so I just wanted to address this on the show. I haven't. Um, I don't have the computer capacity to play tabletop simulator. While I've got a pretty good desktop, I'm not quite sure what happened to it, uh, but a couple of years ago while I was away on rig, there must have been a power surge or something, and it got fried, or some chips got fried in it. I replaced the chips that were not letting it function, and it's operational. Big question mark there, but it's not as good as it ever was. And a lot of the games I used to be able to play on it, I can't now, so I have a fear that the graphics chip is damaged. And, like I've just said, I really don't have the funds at the moment to replace my gaming computer. And looking at the requirements of Tabletop Simulator, I get this strange feeling that it's going to struggle to run on my computer. Uh, combined with my very laggy internet that the computer has, um, it's just going to be asking for trouble. Maybe here in a month or so, if I have to start getting it fixed to get the podcast working on it, things will change. But right about now, I don't have it, and I'm probably not going to be getting it anytime soon. So while I would love to get on Tabletop Simulator and start teaching people Titanicus, that's not going to be a thing I'm going to be able to do in the, anytime soon. Um, so sorry, Ken, and sorry to everyone else who's asked whether they can play a game with me via Tabletop Simulator. It's just not something I can do at the moment. Finally, Ken offers some advice on magnetizing titans. Uh, he uses a tool that has a magnetized tip so he can work out the polarity of magnets and then he marks them off with sharpies and orientates the magnets. I use something very similar when I'm magnetizing titans, and generally when I start talking about the idea that my titan, I don't like magnetizing titans, is not so much that I have trouble with the actual fitting of magnets, it's the mounting the magnets in the models. Both the Reaver and Warhound have limited space to mount the actual magnets within. You end up having to cut up the ball joints and green stuff to get the adequate fit right. Additionally, you usually then have to not put the cabling in, and the magnets never sit quite right and have a habit of moving around on the table. And I just don't like it. Uh, I can get a much more dynamic pose and just have a much more structurally sound model when I glue the model, uh, the weapons on. And that's why I don't magnetize my Reavers and Warhounds. Um, I understand other people can, and the technique you described of using the off-polarity tool really is useful. 
and uh, there are guys on the internet out there and anyone who's thinking of magnetizing any titan probably should have a look at how to do it the worst thing you can do is accidentally get the polarity of a magnet flipped around and glued in and then you can't get the weapons to attach um but yeah anyway i'm gonna move on with that from this and get on with the actual show thank you ken for your letter uh, if anyone else wants to send me letters, please do. Obviously, I'm not going to read any questions out anytime soon. But as I mentioned earlier, feedback is really useful. And having a few questions in the hopper for when I start opening the show up again will be really useful. There can be no greater hatred than the one reserved from traitors of your own kind. They are just like us, except in every way that matters. Princeps Ultima Dre Vragos, Legio Periculus, during the Crusade of Iron. Okay, a quick note before we get on to the main section of the show. I cannot pronounce the name Periculus. Paregesus, and I'm going to mangle it a lot. When I can, I'm just going to call them the true messengers. Um, I'm a bit gruff and low gothic anyway, so let's just stick with it. Um, when I do, just grin and bear it and understand I'm going to mangle the word. Uh, some Titan Legios I can say without any trouble. This one, I just can't. It's a tongue twister for me. So, yeah, I'm sorry, and we're going to move on. So, we're going to do a deep Legio review of the True Messengers. I'm going to go through their background, their rules, how I would collect them, how I would paint them, how I would run them as traitors. Uh, and then I'll put some conclusions together. And, uh, yeah, so just like every other show. I'll also include a small section of how I would run an individual True Messenger Titan with another battle group. So, yeah, let's get on with it. Okay. So let's start discussing the history of the True Messengers. The history comes from a number of sources. Uh, the Edmund Titanicus Horus Heresy Core Rulebook, pages 15, 17, and 71 all have references. There's a whole pile of references, them all throughout the Shadow and Iron book. So just read the whole thing, basically. Horus Heresy Book 5 Tempest also has a whole pile on them. Uh, they were deployed to Kalf and feature very heavily in the narrative. And they have a full Forge World Legio write-up within that Horus Heresy book. Finally, they have a fictional story written about them the in the Legacies of Betrayal anthology, Honour to the Dead by Gav Thorpe. It's a pretty interesting read, and I did listen to it for this show. Okay, so the Legion itself was founded at the start of the Great Crusade, as the expeditionary fleets left the solar system. From a couple of sources, it seems to indicate that these initial Titans and Titan crews were initially part of the Graphonicus Legion, and they were moved over into their own group to be Crusaders. And I think this is a particular note we need to hang on at this point. This Legion weren't created to defend a Forge world or to be the war engines of the Adeptus Mechanicus. This Legion was created by the Emperor to spread the Imperial truth. Something they did feverishly and fanatically across the entirety of the early Imperium. They were his vanguard. They went out there and conquered the galaxy. And 
that they did well. But because they saw themselves as the champions for the Imperial Truth and the Imperial Way and the Emperor, they had a very strict martial code. Their conduct and presence was a champion for the future of the Imperium. So they worked very hard to avoid unnecessary casualties, to attack with pinpoint strikes, and to act in honour. They did not want to deliver burned and broken worlds to the Imperium. They wanted to deliver whole worlds that would make the Imperium better. Um, a great example of this is on Tentorian, early in the Great Crusade, is where the Legion won one of its great victories and earned its name, the True Messengers. The world was a high-tech world, not quite a forge world, but had a lot of advanced tech. One of the big things they had were these large walking machines similar to Titans. So the plan was they, the entirety of the True Messengers Legio would be dropped on the planet and they would fight an all-out war and destroy what they needed to destroy to bring the world to heal. But instead, the Grand Master of the Legion deployed to an uninhabited side of the planet and challenged in single combat the leaders of these war, these war machines of this off-world, non-imperial world. And then, over the course of five days of battle in single combat, the true messengers fought with the enemy titans until eventually the world kneeled in peace. So instead of delivering a burnt-out husk of a tech world, this high-tech jewel of the Imperium was uh, brought in. They did it with great zeal that the Emperor himself came to the celebrations of compliance, and at which time he stated that the Legion were his truest messengers of his grand intent thus being where the idea that they refer to as the True Messengers comes from. After this, the True Messengers continued to be the vanguard of many expeditionary fleets, fighting alongside the World Bearers and the Ultramarines as they travelled the length and breadth of the Imperium. But over time, they took a lot of damage, and slowly their numbers were reduced. Um, and because of their success and glory, they started earning the rivalry of a couple of other Titan Legions who wanted the glory for themselves. In particular, the Legio Subvertero, the Fire Masters, and of course, our ever-present friends, the Legio Mortis. Um, and basically, with the pull of them and with some Magi on Mars who were jealous of the fact the True Messengers really did not follow the whims of Mars, they found themselves increasingly pushed to the front of the most bloodiest fights and given the least support. By the start of the 31st millennium, as the Great Crusade ground to a halt, the true messengers were crippled. They had about one third of their starting engines, something I'll talk about here in a minute, and they couldn't really continue to maintain themselves as the tip of the spear for all these crusades. But in recognition of the Titan service and eager to add to the defences of his realm, Reboot Guliman, the Primarch of the Ultramarines, uh, basically pushed the princeps of a newly founded forge world uh, called Gantz to take the Legio Prejudice on and to turn them into the defenders of this world. They settled in as a sentinel force for this world and they slowly rebuilt their numbers. They did go out on crusade occasionally. Uh, one or two Titans were got to leave their, lend their veterancy to the upcoming battles, but they were never deployed in full. But eventually the War Master called for a massive deployment of the Imperium's armed might to go after the growing orc threat in Gilanish. The true messengers assembled then on Kalf at the um, Ithaca deployment zone. 
and anyone who's a student of the Horus Heritage history knows what's happened next. The Kalf was a trap, the World Bearers and the Fire Lords then proceeded to slaughter all the Imperium Loyalists, which included the bulk of the True Messengers force. The True Messengers fought hard at Kalf, and they were able to survive to an extent, though none of the Titans on Kalf survived the fight. Um, but they were able to, in their solid defense, allow for a retreat and survival of many of the Ultramarines present. But the Titans on Kalf did not represent the entirety of the full force of the True Messengers. There were still Titans deployed on their forge world of Galf, and they eventually heard about what happened at the Ithaca massacre. So, in time, they refounded new, they forged new Titans and went out looking for vengeance. And this push for vengeance uh, against those that massacred them at Kalf is the Crusade of Iron. And I'm not going to regurgitate the entirety of the events of the Crusade of Iron. I'm going to let you go off and read the book yourself. It's the Core Titanicus source book, so go and read it. It's a really good read. And yeah, covers the adventures of the True Messengers, basically, to the middle of the Horus Heresy. What they do after that is unknown. Um, until the Crusade Divine came along, it was thought that the True Messengers were wiped out at Kalf. So there has been a bit of a canonical rewrite with the release of the Crusade Divine book. So as such, there is no real fiction of them being around in the 41st millennium. I suspect that will change soon, um, and I'm eager to hear if people have heard hints of their existence in the 41st millennium. So, let's have a quick conversation about their Legion strength. We know from the records that they had 300 god engines given to them from the Legio Gophonicus at the start of the Great Crusade. Majority of these were heavy battle titans. Uh, the Black Book seems to indicate these were warlords, a class referred to as Carnivore, and another class referred to as Mirage which are all large battle titans, apparently. But they also included a number of Emperor, both Nem Warmonger and Nemesis styles, which is pretty cool. Uh, but over the time of the Great Crusade, the titans took heavy losses. And as we know, by the time they moved to settle on the Forge Wall of Gantz, they could mu muster less than 100 engines. Most of these machines were of the Warlord and Reaver classes, with only a few remaining Warlords and Warhounds, so the majority of these carnivore mirages were all destroyed. Um, the Magi of Gantz rebuilt the Legio over time, but most of these new ones they built were of the Warhound and Reaver classes. Uh, they didn't add any other huge amount of uh, Warlords. So a lot of the Warlords in action are still of the Great Crusade lineage, and they sort of bought them out to a more traditional Legio build-up. Um, but, um, the battle, after the Battle of Kalth, only three battle titans from the initial Great Crusade survived. And the Magi of Gans worked pretty hard to produce new battle titans to replace the fallen, um, warlords in the Ithaca Massacre. Um, a lot of the Reavers were brand new at the... Um, deployment at Ithaca, as talked about in the uh, short story, but it was a fresh Titan out, and the sort of older Titans were the bigger ones. Now, the actual deployment of the Legio is interesting. The majority of the time, the Legion was not deployed as an entire force. They spent a lot of the time in very small detachments. Um, 
because they didn't really like going in to destroy entire planets, they would be a lot more used to being used as precision strikes. Um, and they had sort of a, a weird leadership style that built from this. They had a very fluid command structure, and they really weren't um, that militaristic in a dictatorial sense. Uh, who was the princeps of a mana pool would change based on the person's skill rather than on the person's rank, um, which we see in the rule system here in a minute. Um, yeah. Um, and But this whole idea of this fluidity in their command structure was a cornerstone in their victories. As you know, it's very hard to take the head off a hydra uh, in a kind of alfarious kind of way when you don't know who the leader is. Um, but it was also um, something that the ultramarines helped them train. They spent a lot of time in the latter years working with the ultramarines. So their sort of tactical skill was built from them as well. Um, which puts them in a very interesting place, really, as a legion. Before we move on to rules, I just want to touch on what the fluff talked about their fighting style being. They were expert marksmen. They prized themselves on being able to attack their targets at the longest range possible. They did not use indiscriminate ordnance in populated areas, and they pursued a very strigid dueling code, similar to that of Graphonicus, which a lot of their initial traditions come from. Um, but they, they personally excelled in precision strikes, and that was the type of warfare they wanted to pursue. Uh, they would rather shoot you with one well-shot laser beam than an entire barrage of apocalypse missiles. Um, they revealed they did not think it was a true engine kill if there was collateral damage. It was not what they were wanting to do. I think it's also worth noting that unlike Graphonicus, they didn't internally duel each other. There wasn't a fierce rivalry between princeps. Um, they were together and they were a unit and they would work with one another. Uh, they saved their duels for their opponents. They were honourable to their opponents. They were brothers with their brothers. Um, in many ways, they had a very similar sort of code of brethrenship like you see in the Space Marines. Uh, which is not surprising considering they were a legion forged with the Marines as they proceeded out of the solar system. Um, there was never a time when they weren't fighting with the Marines and fighting around their warrior culture. And you can see a lot of that, you know, imposed in the way they fight, especially the Ultramarines. Um, they are in many ways the Ultramarines of the Titanicus world. And not the Ultramarines in the Titanicus world as, you know, these are the Glory Boys Games Workshop like posting up. I mean, these are the Ultramarines that people realise the Ultramarines are when they look into the fiction. Honourable, tactical, um, good. You know, definitely lawful, good alignment uh, from the old D&D alignment chart. Um, yeah, talking about a trait of a legion of these is going to be a pretty hard task. But I'm going to try to. I've got some ideas. So anyway, um, let's get on with actual discussion of the rules and uh, move on from there. So now we move on to the rules for Legion of Prejudice, the True Messengers. Their rules can be found on page 21 of the Shadow and Iron supplement. The rules of the True Messengers are a deviation from previous Legios. They have three Legio traits, one stratagem, and then the usual three personal traits. Uh, this Legio is unusual, as I said, for having the three Legio traits rather than the standard two. They also do not have any war gear options. So the first trait of the Legio Peregius is the Legion Rate Pinpoint Accuracy. 
This trait reads as the following. A true messenger showed a distinct preference to precision weaponry, believing that indiscriminate destruction was unfitting for the conduct of a true Titan Legion. In-game, this means you can re-roll the location dice when making attacks by uh, Legio Titans when at long range. Uh, you must accept the second roll, regardless of what it is. This is pretty good. It means that in most cases, you're going to send a much better chance of hitting the part of the enemy titan you want to target. But it's not going to be perfect, and you aren't going to be being as precise as if you were using precision attacks. Um, and there is a bit of... but there are, you aren't suffering from the negative penalty to hit that you would with those attacks. Um, so the question is, is the trade-off worth it? I think in general it is. Um, this trade does allow you to re-roll hits with blast weaponry, providing you haven't missed and this isn't a scatter. So it does allow a level of precision with even blast weaponry, which you can't get from precision attacks. And I think that's pretty cool. The utility of this trait is fairly useful. You're going to be using it in most games, and it's nearly always going to be okay. But that said, it's not going to be a game changer. If you're still trying to sort of fish for a roll of a head, you're going to be hard-pressed to get it. You're going to be looking at two chances of a one in six chance, which is going to give you about a you know, one in three chance that you're going to actually pull it off. Which means that you're going to have to unload a full Reaver Titan to guarantee a head hit. Almost guarantee a head hit. Because even then the probability probably states that you may just hit the body three times. Um, it is actually really good for guaranteeing hits to the body. You have one in four chance each time you need to sh shoot a, a Titan to try and hit the body. Provided they don't have a special uh, trait on them. Um, so that basically means you're looking at a... Four in six chance that you're going to get a hit on the body. So a really good chance that you'd be able to core someone else out pretty well. Overall, it's a really good trait. It's not game-breaking and uh, fits the fluff very well. So its second Legion trait for the True Messengers is the fluid command structure. Its description is that due to the great size of the Legion Regatus, the Legion was separated into demi-legion battle groups that encourage a structure of dispersed command and reliance on initiative from its titan princeps. Basically, if your princeps seniorus is killed in battle, you can pick another one from the same titan maniple. They do not get a new personal trait, but they do get the plus two to command and any other bonuses that a princeps seniorus would gain. Only the princeps chosen at the battle group creation stage is the princeps that will earn victory points for your opponents if they need to kill a princeps. So you don't get to stop an enemy achieving an objective, which is a pretty neat little tag in there. Overall, this is a pretty subtle but powerful trait. Essentially, it's going to take a lot of work for your opponent to deprive you of the bonuses to pass order checks, which means you're always reliably going to be able to get a few titans to make the necessary checks when they have to. Especially if you were to be using large amounts of Warhound packs and other such squadrons where orders can be shared, um, you're in a pretty good place. It's one of those traits that you're going to be able to use in every game. Um, it's just subtle and uh, nice. I kind of like it. So the next trait is called Against the Impossible. The description is that often assigned to the vanguard of expeditionary fleets, the Legion Pregasus has become renowned for achieving the seemingly impossible. 
So what this does is that once per battle, when any Legio Procurious Titan takes critical damage, you may immediately um, make an emergency repair check as if you just passed an emergency repair order. This has to be done after all the effects of the incoming weapon has been resolved, but only that weapon. But And it also cannot be made um, if the Titan suffers catastrophic damage from that attack, but it will break the order of enemy attacks. So, for example, if an enemy Reaver is opening fire on you and their first weapon causes you to suffer a point of critical damage, you get to make the emergency repair checks before the enemy gets to resolve its next two attacks, which is pretty powerful. Additionally, there is a sort of FAQ wrinkle in here that's another one of those questions that need to be sent to Games Workshop. It states that once per battle, any True Messenger's Titan takes critical damage. It doesn't state is that once per battle per Titan, or once per battle per battle group. Hmm, an interesting debate. If you're stating that every Titan gets to make a free emergency repair roll at some point in the battle, these Titans have become absolutely hard-wearing, and it makes the whole True Messenger's battle line to be crazy strong, and probably one of the best Titan Legios out there. If it is only once in the battle group, it's really not as good. But then again, it is a third Legion trait, so maybe it doesn't need to be that good. Yeah. I need to sit down and think about this for a few days, and I've been stewing on it for a good two weeks up to now as well. I really haven't made my opinion up about whether this is a once-per-game or a once-per-Titan affair. And, um, yeah. But presuming we play it conservatively, and it is once-per-battle, it's still a really good ability. Um, to be able to save your Warlord Titan, to throw its Void Shields back up, which you've got a pretty good chance of doing. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Especially when combined with a couple of good stratagems. You put um, some of the stratagems that give you additional Servitor Clades or additional bonuses, and you're really cooking up with fire. I kind of like it. Um, yeah, one of the strong points of the Legion. Not that the other two traits are particularly weak, this one is just particularly good. If we're going with the principle that it's only one use, the question with it is going to be when do you use it? Um, if you're running a battle group that has like five titans, do you use it the first time critical damage has occurred, or do you wait for later in game when you really need to save that titan? And I think gauging when you need to use the emergency repair is going to be the trick. Additionally, uh, it doesn't really state how the emergency repair order interacts with the rest of the order dice. For example, it says as if you've made an emergency repaired. So I presume that comes with all the penalties of the emergency repair order, which means if you've moved the Titan and not yet fired, it's probably going to deprive you of the ability to fire that turn. But if you've used it on a Titan that's already fired, what's the resolution of the situation there? I don't know. Lots of questions. Um, like I said, I think it's going to be an email to Games Workshop again to ask them to address it in the next FAQ. And I'm really going to have to scratch my head and sit down and decide how I'm going to address it at my event and in the FAQ I'm putting together for it. Um, my gut tells me that you only get to use this once per battle, or once per battle group, um, and that the emergency repair doesn't come with any penalties and doesn't displace any orders you have on the Titan. Uh, you make the emergency repair roll as if you'd made um, the emergency repair orders, but it doesn't 
incur the penalties as if you'd given the emergency repair order to the Titan. Yeah. I can sort of see the arguments that state that you would need to take the emergency repair penalties, but I'm pretty sure the reading of the actual text is fairly explicit that you don't. But I think it needs to be laid out in any event FAQ just to seal up any arguments that occur on the day. Um, yeah, it's one of those points that someone could argue about and make a pretty convincing case that penalty should be applied. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Okay, next up is the Legion Pacific Stratagem, Precision Volley. It's a two-point stratagem, and it's real simple. Basically, for the duration of term you play the stratagem, you get plus one to hit when firing weapons in their long-range weapon band. This is really good. Uh, combines really well with pinpoint accuracy that's already giving you bonuses for being in that long-range weapon band. This additional plus one to hits really going to push a lot of weapons to be hitting on two pluses, which is really good. Um, obviously, there's the chance enemies are going to be in cover, especially at long range, where it's much easier to position something between you and your target. But, uh, yeah. This, combined with pinpoint accuracy, really lends itself to allowing you to put on quite a barrage of fire from a long range. And really sort of strikes home the message that the true messengers are a legion you can line up on the back line and really let loose with a whole barrage of firepower. These are not the Legio Vulpa and trying to get in close. No, these want to stay away from the opponent. A couple of paces back, fighting at their terms, which is long range. And I really like that. It's a very different message than a lot of the other Legios I've covered so far. And uh, almost the opposite of the uh, Legio Ordax that I covered last time. Yeah. Anyway. Um... There's not much more to say about this stratagem, really. I think it's well worth the two points, especially if you can build, get the right titans together to really benefit from that long-range blasting. Um, but yeah, okay. So let's move on to the final bit, and we'll close out the rules review. Okay, so then we'll move to the Legion-Pacific personal traits for the True Messengers Princeps Senioruses. There are three traits, as always, and as... As normally the case, you can select these traits with the roll of a d3, or just pick one where you wish. The first trait is called Noble Legacy. His description is that the Princeps was there at the start of the Great Crusade, and still upholds the promises that the dreams of humanity will one day be achieved. Basically, if you do not take a tertiary objective as part of your stratagem deck, you gain the tertiary objective Eternal Bastion, and providing your Princeps Senioris says Titan survives the battle, you will gain five victory points. Which is nice, and uh, if you take it on a good, durable Warlord, it's pretty easy to achieve, and a good way to earn a few extra victory points throughout a game. The next trait is called Natural Commander. The Princeps is able to quickly assess the ebb and flow of battle, directing the engines under their command with ease. If the Princeps Titan rolls a 9 or 10 for a command check when issuing an order, that order they issued may be issued to any other titan in their mana pool without the need of a command check. So if you want your entire mana pool to go on full stride and your Princeps Senioris rolls a 9 or a 10, they all can. It's pretty good. That said, you are looking at only a one-fifth chance of being able to roll that dice correctly. And it's not going to go off when you need it. That's almost guaranteed through the look of the draw. 
Um, so it's not as good as it first sounds, though it is a pretty characterful trait, and I kind of like it. There are a lot worse traits out there, and it is not one to shy away from. The final trait is Crusader. The Princeps is a true believer in the crusading spirit of their legio, adhering to the doctrine of marching forward with a relentless purpose. With this trait, once per round, when moving in the combat phase as part of a full stride order, the Princeps may fire with one of its weapons after they finish moving, applying a minus two modifier to the hit roll. This is really odd for this legio. I like it. It's a very powerful trait, but it doesn't really apply with the rest of their abilities. This isn't a legio you want striding forwards in a glorious charge. No, you're going to be basically holding the line with this legio. Yeah, which is an interesting problem. I've just ran through all the personal traits, and there really isn't a standout one that synergizes really well with the personal traits of this legion. It's interesting, and probably the weakest part of this legio's rules, if I'm being honest. I really do think that any personal trait from the core rulebook is better than the personal traits for the true messengers. Many of the traits in the core rulebook apply bonuses that the true messengers will actually be able to use. Yeah, it's a little bit strange, really. Generally, I can usually pick one or two of the personal traits that I'm like, yeah, use that stratagem. It'll be pretty good and add some character and actually get some use. I really struggle with the true messenger selection. They're all good and characterful, yet the rules don't quite blend that well. I mean, individually, Noble Legacy is a good trait, but the fluid command structure rule basically gives you bonuses for allowing you to lose your Princeps Senioris. So it sort of stands against one of your rules, stands in opposition in a way. The Natural Commander rule is pretty good, but it's not great. And there are bonuses you can get from the core rules that allow you to re-roll command checks, which is probably better most of the time than, you know, the ability to pass checks without a test. And then Crusader just isn't how you're going to be running your Parageous Titans. And there are, again, other traits that allow you to gain bonuses if you're trying to play the stand-back-and-shoot game, which you probably want to be doing. Yeah. It's odd. I think this is the first time I've sat down and been like, the weakest part of the description is the personal traits. Um, a lot of folks usually look down on the personal traits as, as a set of rules, but generally they aren't that bad. Today's different. And that makes me a little sad, because otherwise, these rules are pretty good. I think overall, in general, the True Messenger's rules are strong. They're not overpowering, they're pretty balanced, and add some flavour. Um, I'd even think about running them myself for my Legio Incarnum. They sort of kind of work from what I know about the Legio Incarnum, as a sort of stand-in set of rules. I think they're closer than anything else I've read. Yeah. But anyway... I think we'll go ahead and talk about how I would run the Legion, and a few other ideas. So yeah. So now we move to the part of the show where usually I'll discuss a list, and general strategies that I would use to use that list to exemplify the benefits of the particular Legion. And I've really struggled with this particular Legion. 
The true messenger's traits are pretty universally good. You can make an argument that you can use them on nearly any Titan class and put together a good list. They gain benefits of being in the long range band of any particular weapon. But throughout the Titanicus collection, there are many different weapons with many different long range weapons. I mean, some of the shorter range weapons, like the um, Falcon Megabolter or the Ursus Claw, short range is within 8 inches. So, providing you're within 12 inches of the opponent, you're getting your additional bonuses for the pinpoint accuracy. Whereas some short range bands, for example, the Quake Cannon, are a lot, lot longer. So it's a lot harder to say, oh, you need to be at certain range, because it very much depends upon your armament. And the benefits spread pretty evenly across all armament types. In essence, you can build whatever mana pool you want and build it to be a good mana pool, and the Vigio Paragus will tack on fairly well. It will reward you for playing at slightly arm's length. That said, there are a few places you want to avoid. You don't want to be playing a close combat reaver, and you don't want to be looking towards stuff like the knife fighting skills, where it really wants you to get in close. You want to play every titan to operate sort of just out uh, about its maximum length. You want to keep the enemy at arm's reach, whatever the length of that arm is. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty hard to describe exactly what you would do. Unlike, say, some of the easier legions, like the Legio Vulpa, which I've yet to cover but are a pretty good legion to compare things to, they want to get in close, they want to get within punching range. The true messengers don't. And that's sort of more how you can define it. And a lot of other reviews of such usually then push the true messengers towards things like the Corsair Maniple, because, well, the Corsair Maniple is universally good and can basically be used to push any strategy you want to push at the time. Um... And I feel that's a little bit lazy, to be honest. I think if you're being true to the idea of the true messengers, you probably should look to take something unusual. And by this, I would probably recommend the Murphrodon Maniple from the Core Rulebook. That's the Maniple that, that is composed of the three Warlord Titans and two Reavers. It gains bonuses when trying to activate orders for either first fire or split fire which ties in pretty nicely to the wall of firepower you're going to try to be throwing off with your pinpoint accuracy and the precision volley stratagem. So I sort of imagine a true messenger's battle line of three warlords and then two supporting reavers on the flanks. This is it. That's your entire force. I mean, it's actually going to be a pretty big force. It's going to easily go over 2,000 points, so you're going to struggle to get it in a standard confrontation game. But... It works very well to their standard background that they were a battle titan heavy um, legio. These are the noble titans striding forward to conquer the Imperium. And with careful precision of firepower, they're able to make their weapons heard first. They're able to direct their weapons where they need to be directed. And they need to be and they're able to be precise about it. All very much to the ideas of the Legio. Also, that against the impossible trait works much better on a Warlord than any other type of Titan. Um, you're only going to get to roll the Repair Dice once, so you want to roll it with a Titan that has the most Servitor Kaids, which is going to be a Warlord. So yeah. That isn't to say you should only take Warlords and Reavers. I think a case can be made for nearly any Maniple. Um, 
as I sort of skirted around earlier, it's all about weapon ranges. And I could see quite a collection that ran a lot of wallhounds. A Lupacore Manipal for Legio Paragus be hilarious if you went heavy on the turbo lasers. They sort of jump in and out of packs and are really specific about where they're going to snipe you with those long-range lasers. Um, yeah. And I think the Warbringer needs to be, have a special mention. These ty Titan rules work really well together. A lot of their weapons are pretty good long ranges, and they're the type of artillery titan that will really help form a gun line. And that's kind of what you're doing. You're playing a good fashioned gun line list for those who used to the gun lines in 40k. Anyway, enough of my rambling. I hope you got the basic idea by now. And I'm going to move on to some more solid ideas of collecting both a loyalist and a traitor force. So, if I was to collect a Loyalist True Messengers Force, I would lean very heavy into all the descriptions they've thrown into the books. These engines would be heavily decorated with laurels of the Emperor, eagles, and other such recruitments. Banners would be occurring, would occur in many places, and all the engines would be painted with their crisp colour scheme. I really like the colour scheme of the Legio Pregasus. The whites and blues are striking. And with some clever weathering, you can make it look pretty clean and battle-worn at the same time. I think I'd actually look towards the contrast paints, actually, for painting the white on the armour plates, as they would allow you to have the um, detailing shown through, and it works fairly well. The white contrast paints are really some of the best whites on the market at the moment, in my opinion. But again, that very much depends on the type of battle force you're putting together. There are basically two routes you can take with the Loyalist collection. One are Titans that have been salvaged from Kalth, which will show a lot of repair and battle damage. The third, second option are your Titans that have come from Kalth. They are going to be hot off the forges and fresh, maybe being led by a Titan that can tie itself back to the Great Crusade. Um, the Great Crusade Titan would have the most ornamentations and banners, and the rest of the battle force would be newer. Less markings of kills, though you probably could add them as your campaign story goes on, but crisper and um, more factory fresh. Both of these would be very characterful. You could write quite the stories of legend behind every titan in the force. Now, predominantly, you are going to be collecting loyalists if you're playing the true messengers. They were really close to the emperor, and way more so than many of the other titans that may have stronger ties to Mars. But, that said, every Titan Legion had some Titans that turned to the path of the traitor. So, what would that look like for the True Messengers? Well, really, to me, it would look like a corruption of their worldview. I doubt you could really make a good story where they turned their backs on the Emperor intentionally. But I think this place to talk about individual Titans that were corrupted by the Dark Mechanicum and the World Bearers. You can imagine that on Kalth, a few isolated precious Titans at the outbreak of the betrayal were attacked with scrap code and Word Bearer Dark Magics. Their realities were warped and they were unable to tell which side was which. And they've seen their entire legion turn from the Emperor's light and they now stand with the Emperor's true son, Horus, to fight those who have attempted to take out the Emperor's true vision. The Warmaster is the Imperium, 
the War Master stands for what's right. And they will defend the Emperor's true son, the War Master. Yeah, it kind of works in a dark and twisted way. And I can see you really running a collection home that plays on this warped and hallucinatory way of viewing the world. Kind of perhaps taking a leaf out of the Flesh Eater Quartz from the collection in the Age of Sigmar game. In the Age of Sigmar world, the Flesh Eater Quartz are the ghouls and the ghoul kings. They view themselves as crusading knights and utterly noble, when in reality they are some feral cannibal monsters. And I can see you doing something really fun with a prejudice force sort of following on those themes. Princeps and titans that think they are still crusading across the galaxy nobly, when in reality they are pawns of the dark gods. You could play up a decay and have, you know, a very decayed look to the titans. You know, the word decay a lot. But, you know, just they're titans themselves ill-kept. They're illusions that are all matter all that matters um yeah it could look pretty cool if done right and um plays with some really sort of grim dark thoughts even perhaps modeling in some dark mechanicum neural control nets or something around the um heads of the titans that sort of show the mecha dark mechanicum's weird warp tainted technology that is keeping the crews in this sort of compliant and altered state yeah, and a pretty cool idea, much more of a role-playing thing than an actual modeling switch as well. I know, got some depth and flavor to it. But really, uh, that's really where it comes to when it comes to me thinking of ways to have traitor true messengers. They are the Emperor's guys, and they owe loyalty directly to the Emperor more than the Mechanicum on Mars. So I'm um, seeing them caught in the split that took most of the College Titanica, along with the split on Mars. Yeah, it's just harder to do. I'd love to hear ideas from other people about how they could do a traitor True Messengers force, because I'm sure there are some good ideas out there. But yeah. Okay. Before I wrap this episode up, I'm going to take a few moments to talk about taking a True Messengers Titan as a support titan. As I mentioned in previous episodes, the idea of a support titan is a titan you take as a reinforcement titan to an existing mana pool in your battle group that you apply a different Legio rules to. So the question is, are the Legio Prodigious rules worth giving your opponent two additional stratagem points? I think the answer is yes on nearly any titan strategy. Um, with the exception of the Fluid Command Structure trait that will have no use on a singular Titan, both the uh, Emergency Repair and the ability to re-roll hit locations are fairly good. They're really good on larger Titans, as I said before, but I wouldn't really want to be throwing in a Reinforcement Warlord. Uh, I think, though, a Reinforcements Warbringer is really good, and I think these rules really shine when you take a Warbringer. Um, but they're still fairly good for if you wanted to take a good mid-distance brawling reaver or some variant of a sniper warhound or even a pack of warhounds armed with plasma blast guns would be rather fun. Um, yeah. So I definitely think they're worth the two command points you're going to give away by taking them as a support titan. 
But there are better options out there. And their stratagem is way better when you take them in a full battle group. A full battle group of Prodigious Titans makes that two-point stratagem almost an auto-take. It's definitely not something you want to look at taking if you've only got one True Messenger Titan on the table. So there's that. I don't think I'm going to be adding a True Messenger's Titan to my Loyalist collection. They're a bit odd. Um, as I said earlier, I'd probably end up just using their rules for my Legio Incarnum as is until they produce Legio Incarnum rules. Um, they're kind of fun for a group of do-gooders for the Emperor. Yeah, anyway. That sort of brings me to conclusions. I should probably focus on that. Overall, I really like this Legio. They add something to the whole Titanicus background. We were missing that Emperor Loyalist Crusading Legion. That is a trope that is common within the entire 40k setting. And to see it spelled out so clearly in this 30k background is really nice. And you can tell the fingerprints of Alan Bly's work is all over it. And the short story, Glory the Dead, is a wonderful tribute to that vision that Alan Bly had. I think the rules they put together for the Shadow and Iron book for this Legion are adequate. I'm not going to say they are the best out there, and I could think of some ways to make this a set of rules that would be a little bit more in the spirit of what you hear in the stories. Mostly when it comes down to the commander traits. The command traits are really lackluster and do turn me off the Legio rules slightly. But that said, they are not the worst Legio rules I've reviewed. These are way better than what Legio Infectors were. Legio Infector were good, but they weren't great. They kind of were a bit chaos as a random table. And these guys just have rules that are going to apply to every game. And as I've said many times, the best rules in Titanicus, or the best rules you want to take, are the utilitarian ones that you're always going to get a benefit from. And the True Messengers give you that. The True Messengers also give you rules that reward a type of play that isn't often rewarded in Titanicus. That is the keeping your enemies at arm's reach. A lot of this game focuses on getting Titans into close combat, ironically. A lot of the Titan Legions re reward you getting in close. The Legio Pericus doesn't, and that's a real nice change. And I think it leads, leads them to having a strength. They are probably the best at building a firewall, building that gun line. And that is nice. I'm not sure how well that fits with the idea of them being a crusading titans. But it definitely fits with their idea that they are all about position firepower. Yeah. So yeah, I think they're my thoughts. I really thought this podcast would go a bit longer. I mean, it's been long enough, but... I suppose this is coming off the back of the Ember Wolves. There just isn't as much to talk about. Maybe I'll revisit them one day. Um, yeah. I suppose it's time to close the show out. So with that, we're at the end of Season 1 of the God Machine Cast. I thank everyone for listening. Uh, mostly to my ramblings for the last couple of months. I started the show in February and have put out 22 episodes. 
I'm rather happy about it. Um, I hope that this month's break will allow me to find ways to make this show better. In the meantime, I really want to hear your feedback, so please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com or contact me through my Facebook page, which is The God Engine Cast, or via Twitter, which is at CastEngine. I'm also available on many other forms of social media. You're going to see me posting on a couple of forums here in the next couple of weeks, as well as the Adeptus Titanicus Discord chat, which is out there, and I'm sure some people can find links to. If you need a link to it, just shoot me a message, and I will get you on there. It's a rather lively place, and I talk on that site a few times every day, which is rather good fun. So anyway, thanks again for listening to me ramble. Please let me know if you're got any comments or criticisms you want to have me address in this time where I'm looking at what I can do about the show to make it better. And yeah, so I don't know what next week the next show's topic's going to be. Expect a trailer to drop outlining that. Um, That'll probably appear near the end of next month. That's it. So, until next time, I wish you all well and good fortune, and have a pleasant summer.